Good morning, church. It's great to be with you. I always consider it a privilege to share with you what I believe God wants me to, to share with you. Um, today is Valentine's Day, and, and if you have someone special in your life, I would, I would hope that you're not just hearing for the first time that it's Valentine's Day, because if it is, and you're a dude, and you have somebody special, just grab your phone, grab whatever, run out to the corner of the street, find some guy, buy some flowers, come back in, because you'd be in a heap of trouble if you don't, and, and here's, here's a bit of free advice to you from your pastor, which is, if, 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 you're, if you're special someone, your girl says, Valentine's Day doesn't mean much to her, don't believe her, um, go out and get it anyway, um, that's free advice. That's not, even, that's not even the message today, but that's a message for you. Hey, last week we began a series that is called, How Do I Know? And, and the series is based on a, on a question I've been asked so many times and more times than any other single topic. The question is normally followed up by, by something more specific, questions like, how do I know what God wants from me? Or maybe you're at a decision point in your life and you're at a crossroads and you can either go left or you could go right. You can take either path and you find yourself asking the question, something like, how do I know like which decision is right for me? Uh, you know, this plays out in so many ways. Maybe you're in high school and, and your parents, and your family, and your guidance counselor, your aunt, your uncle, your cousin, everybody is in the world is telling you what classes to take. Because, you know, if you take this class, then you're going to you're gonna get, you're gonna get in your good school, and you're going to get your major, and you're going to get your career. And you're thinking, I don't even know what I want to do for a career. I don't want to know what I'm going to spend 40 years of my life doing. Like, people, oh, i got to make a decision about this. Or you're just not sure. Maybe you hear people talking about finding your purpose, and and um, and and you know they say stuff like, if you do something you like, you'll never work a day in your life. But that's so ain't you, because you find yourself asking the question, how do I know what I'm supposed to do with my life? And at the heart of this question is really one basic question. If you're, if you're a, follower, a follower of Jesus, the question that you would, is at the base of this is, how can I know God's will? How can I know God's will for my life? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, a committed follower of Jesus, uh, you probably ask the question a different way. Or maybe if you are, you still ask the question a different way, which is, <laughs> how do I know which way to go? How do I know which way to go? And it's really about decision-making because regardless of how you ask the question, at the day, at the end of the day, the answer to the question is really all that we want. It boils down to the same thing. How do I know which way to go? So last week, we gave the foundation for answering these questions and the foundation for knowing God's will. And it's a foundation that's essential for the topic that we're going to be covering for the next three weeks. And so today, I want to continue our talk on making better decisions by asking a simple question. The simple question is this, what do you want? What do you want? And it's a tough question to answer because from my experience, most people struggle, most people struggle with defining the word want. And I ask, what do you want? See, they struggle with it. And if you're one of those people, or you know somebody like that, you know, when you ask them the question, People, they'll just start describing, they'll describe something. They describe a need, or maybe they describe, they describe a desire. 
And, but, and I think the reason why people don't really know is that people don't really know what they want because they don't know what they really, truly value. So let me, let me do this little exercise to you. If I asked you, what do you need? What do you need? Chances are you'll answer something like, maybe you, know, maybe you say something like, I need food, I need clothing, I need shelter. Uh, maybe you'll say something like, I need to feel safe, or I need love, I need intimacy, uh, I need to feel respected, I need to feel like I'm living my life to the fullest potential. But if I were to ask you, like, what do you really need? And I kept asking that over and over again, what do you need? What, what do you really need? What do you really need? I think at the end of the day, I would really get down to what you would say are really your basic needs, which is the things you need for survival. But then if I come back to the question, the foundational question for the day, what do you want? If I just turn around the, que the question and I start pointing out people who I know, I'm just going to call out some people on the phone, I'm like, hey, Shakira, what do you want? Hey, Aliki, what do you want? And you pick your name in there. And, and, and I want you to think about if I were a genie, yeah, I know I don't look like a genie, but if I were a genie and I could give you anything that you want, what would you want? You know, a story about a man who, um, who found a genie he found a lamp, and he rubbed the lamp, and this genie appeared. And the genie is like, I'm going to give you one wish. I'm going to give you one wish. And the man thought about his, you know, he, he, he knew he loved to travel, but he didn't like to fly. And he didn't like ships, so he didn't like sailing. So he said to the genie, hey, genie, you know what I want? I want a road that will connect all the continents and, and I want, you know, a car that never needs gas or never needs fuel and I could drive from continent to continent all around the world. The genie thought about it for a moment and the genie said, man, that's, that's really difficult, you know. Think about all the asphalt and everything that we need. He's like, he's like what, else, what else do you want? Pick something else. The man thought about it for a moment. He says, you know what I really want? I want to understand women. The genie thought about it and said, okay, for that road, what do you want? One lane or two lanes? That's your little Valentine's joke for the day. That's funny. I don't care what you all want to say. So I, I want you to think about that for a second. If you could have one wish for anything, what would it be? And I think if I went around and I started asking people, you know, online, if I typed it in chat, like, what do you, what, what do you, what do you need? Your, 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 your answers would, would be different. But if I took all of them and piled them up and categorized them, I would, you know, I would find, I would find things like, there would be some commonalities. Like some people say, well, I want a, a better job or, or I want more money or I want a house or I want to be financially secure or I want, you know, some people may say I want a boyfriend or girlfriend or a wife. I want my special person. Um, somebody would say I want to get married. I want kids. I want grandkids. Yeah, I, I want grandkids one day, one day. Somebody would say I want my family close to me. 
But the question, is, and some of that, those are desires, but the question is, is like, what do you really want on other side? The other side of that question is, what do I really value? What do you really value? Because really what we want, what we really truly want is really what we value. And I, I believe that all, all of us, no matter how I categorize it, all of us have the same things that we value. We just don't realize it. I, I think if, if I should ask everybody here, what's one of the things you value? I think most people would say, well, what I want, I, I would really want a stress-free life. I, I would want a life where I don't worry about my basic needs. I don't worry about any basic needs. Uh, I don't worry about how we're going to live today, how we're going to find clothes today, um, what we're going to eat today. Everybody would say that, uh, yeah, that would be really good. Uh, I want to live a stress-free life. You see, when you live a stress-free life, you're, you're not thinking about today. I mean, you're not worried about today. Because you wake up in the morning, you know that there's food in the fridge. You go in your closet, there's clothes in your closet. You wake up and there's a roof over your head and it ain't leaking. You want a stress-free life. You want a stress-free life in your, in your relationships. But, but you see, the thing is that a stress-free life is not only being worried about today. Not worried about today. A stress-free life is not only not worried about today, but it's also not worried about tomorrow. Or the next day. You're not worried about, oh man, you know, I have this chronic disease, I have this chronic illness, I have this thing that's, it's not worrying about any of that. It's like, I'm healthy, life is good. I know everything, I just got checked out from the doctor. Everything is good. All my basic needs are there. You see, that stress-free living is not worried about today or worried about tomorrow or worried about the day after tomorrow. But there's, there's stress-free living is not only not being worried about today or tomorrow or the next day or the next day or next day. But one day we're all going to die. Stress-free living is knowing that after I die, I'm still good. I'm still good. Stress, so many people live with the stress of, of worrying about tomorrow. I mean, worried about what happens after that. Stress-free living is not worried about that. Stress-free living is... Living with the knowledge that I know, I know that it's going to work out okay despite what's happening right now. Here's how one writer describes, describes stress-free living. In Philippians 1.21, Paul um, wrote this. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was like, for me, stress-free living is living according to God's precepts. Stress-free living, that's what Paul is saying for him, stress-free living is living according to God's principles. Stress-free living is living according to God's instructions. Stress-free living is living according to God's will. But Paul was like, yeah, I know about Jesus and I know what he said. I've seen him, I've seen it lived out. I've seen it lived out in other people's life. I've seen it lived out in my life that, uh, you know, if I seek first the kingdom of God, if I do the things that God says, which really is his righteousness, if I do that, then, then clothes, then money, then shelter, and everything else that I need for my basic needs 
Everything that else I need for stress-free living will just happen. It comes as an addition. So Paul's like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And Paul did that. And last week we talked about some of the things that God wants from all of us. And so Paul did it, man. He's like, he rejoiced always. And, you know, I, I, I've said this before that rejoice means, you know, you like you have joy and your joy is fading because the stress of life, of life gets you down. So Paul's like, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to up my joy. So Paul rejoiced always. Paul prayed all the time. Paul gave thanks. He was just a thankful person. He gave thanks all the time. And he purposed in his heart to love people. And he purposed to love God with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his soul, with all his strength. And he never wavered no matter what the circumstances were. You know, Paul, when he wrote this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul was in prison. Paul was in chains and but yet still Paul was had a mental freedom because he wasn't worried about today. He wasn't worried about what was going to happen today. He's like, you know what? My God is going to supply all my needs. And 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 so I'm just going to live for him. And you know what? I know one day I'm going to die. And and whenever I die, it's even better still because I'm going to gain. That's stress we live in. Not only did he say it, not only did he live it out, and he, and he says, hey, my eternity is secured. And heaven is better than anything else that I can have on earth. So I ain't worried about today. I ain't worried about tomorrow. I ain't worried about the day after tomorrow. I ain't worried about the day after that. I'm not worried about anything. Folks, that is stress-free living. Not worrying about your well-being today. Not worrying about your well-being tomorrow. Not worried about your well-being forever. But there's another thing, you know, that we all really want. It's another thing that we, that we really value. And no matter how we choose to describe it, the other thing that we want is we want to live life with more margin. We, you see, we, want, we all want space between our needs and our desires, between our basic needs for food, cold, and shelter, and these desires, these kind of like more frivolous desires. We want margin from our, from our basic needs. We don't want to live life on the edge. We want space between us and the edge. Said differently, we want to have more abundant living. You see, we want to all do more than just exist. We want to live life. We want to enjoy life to the full. See, so many of us are just striving, and we're striving, and we're clawing, and we're striving, and we're barely making it. None of us just want to live life striving. We all don't want to just strive. We want to thrive. We want to have more than enough for ourselves. We want to have enough to share. We want to have enough to enjoy. And that's what having margin does. Space between your basic needs and where you are. See, margin takes you beyond stress-free living. Margin takes you to abundant living. And that's something that I don't care where you sit, you want. We, we want margin in our relationships. You know, you know, if you ask people like, hey, would you like an okay relationship or would you like a great relationship? 
Everybody, you know, you know, um, you know, we 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 don't want to just a relationship where we just like, yeah, I'm married. No, 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 nobody wants that. We want a great relationship. And that's margin in your relationship. We don't want to just live and well, we don't argue much. No, nobody wants that. We want to enjoy each other. We want, to, we want to enjoy each other. We all want great relationships. We want margins in our relationship. If you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, you want it with your boo. If you're a husband or wife, you want it with your spouse. As parents, we want it with our kids. As grandparents, we want it with our grandkids. As a husband, I want it with my wife. I don't want, I don't want my wife that when I come home from work or in COVID times, and I come from upstairs to downstairs, she goes, hey, she didn't acknowledge me. I know I want to see her smile when I come down the stairs or her smile when I come in from the grocery store. I want to, I want to, I want to see her laughing. I want to see joy in her, in her eyes. I want to hear her talking to her friends about me when I'm not around. See, that's not having just having a marriage. That's having a marriage more abundantly. We want it in our careers. And nobody wants a dead-end job. No, nobody wants a dead-end job doing something that we hate or something that leaves us unfulfilled. See, we don't want just careers. We want careers. We want a career more abundantly. Nobody wants it in their finance. Like, ooh, nobody stands out and says, you know what, I just want enough to live. No, 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 nobody wants that. They want something to, so money so that they can live more abundantly. And that is true in every area of your life. We want a more abundant life. You see, physically, we don't want just to be able to just walk around with a cane, shuffling along with a cane or in a wheelchair. No, man, we want, we want, we want some Sprightly. We want to be able to walk more sprightly. We want to have a little pep in our step. We want to have more bounce <laughs> to the ounce. It's not in our way physically. It's in our way in our personality, which is our soul. Our body, you know, we're all body, soul, and spirit. We don't want, you know, we don't want to be the person who's like a wet blanket. No, we want to have, we want to have margin in our personality. We want to have space in our personality so we could have a personality that's more abundant. We also want in their spiritual life. If I should ask people here, I say, you know, people listening, I'm like, hey, who just wants to know that they're a Christian as opposed to who want to feel Jesus, feel Jesus' presence and to feel like he's your best friend that you can communicate with him. We all want margin in every area of our life. And the good news is that that is possible. That's why Jesus came. And Jesus looked down. I'm like, these people, they need margin. <laughs> they need to have a more abundant life. And so Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to come down. And he said it. You know, I've come. Like everybody, I'm on the scene. I'm Jesus. I come that you may have life and life more abundant. That's the reason why I showed up on the scene. But there's a third thing that we all want, that I know we all want, regardless of where you are, we all want to create a legacy. See, I believe we all want to create things that last, that things that add value. We all want to 
B, make things better, whether it is in our kids or in the people that we touch. All of us really want our lives to count for something. All of us want our lives to have impact. All of us want to enjoy while we're doing it, and all of us want people to benefit from our work. All of us want people to directly benefit from our lives, and that is called legacy. You know, legacy comes from legacy comes from living a life full of purpose. And and I believe that so much depression and so much mental illness and emotional um, emotional illness comes from us not discovering and living of our purpose. We're not feeling like we're doing anything. We're not meaningful to create a legacy. Now, years ago, um, one of my coworkers, uh, she tried to commit suicide, and uh, she wasn't successful, thank God. And I remember when she came back into the office, I had a conversation with her about, about um, why did she try to commit suicide? And she said, my life didn't count for anything. She goes, I couldn't find any reason why I was here on earth. And when you get to that stage, you oftentimes feel like, I just need to exit the scene. You know, I believe it was Mark Twain who once said this. He said, the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. And, and you know, that, that, that's really extremely true. That's very true. Because Mark Twain knew something that perhaps many of us don't or don't even realize. And we don't know that you're not some just random creation. I'm not some, some random creation. You're not some random creation of some random sperm and some random egg. Uh, no. You see, the sperm that formed you was uniquely chosen by God. And the egg that formed you was uniquely chosen by God to create you with your specific DNA. To create your specific, your specific physical body. To create your specific physical personality. To put you in the place to be born in the time where you're born into the family as messed up as that family is. Or not. For the purpose that God ordained before the beginning of the world for you to do. And that is why you are made. God said it this way. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good work with God prepared in advance for us to do. And it's probably the saddest thing in the world that so many people live a mediocre life. Some people live uh, a suboptimal life because maybe you're one of them that you don't realize that you are a unique masterpiece. That you are specifically created to do good works, to create a legacy and leave a legacy just by living your life on purpose. So, how do I know 
what you really want? It's because it's what I want. And I am no different from you. I want a stress-free life, but I want to live a life better than the life that I'm living. And I want my work, I don't want my life to count for something. And so what's the problem, right? It's not so easy. Why do, why do so many people find it such a struggle to find out what they really want? And even for many people who find out what they really want, why are so many of us struggling with getting what we really want. We know what it is, but we struggle with getting it. We, we, don't, we don't grab a hold of the things that we really want. We don't grab a hold of the stress-free living. We don't grab a hold of the abundant life. We don't grab a hold of living a life of legacy. Why is that? Why is there so much stress in our life? Why, why is your relationship with your husband or your wife or your stepdad filled with so much stress? Maybe your life is just boring. You ever wonder why that is? Why you feel like your life got nothing to it? You know, if, you're writing, if your life was a book, right? Imagine for a second that your life's a book. Your life's a book. For some of us here, our book would be the most boring book in the world. Ain't nothing happening. Nothing eventful. Nothing exciting. Nothing happening. The boring book. Now for others listening, your book may be not boring, but it's just depressing. And maybe for others, your book would be like an interesting read, but for all the wrong reasons. It would be filled with drama. It would be drama over top of drama. And not good drama. It would be filled with bachelor kind of drama. And, and for you, if you're writing the book or the story of your life in a book, you know you wouldn't write it the way that it has been unfolding in your life. Or it's currently unfolding in your life. No, you wouldn't sit around and say, ooh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make... I'm going I'm to do this because I, I want... No, you don't want to write that story. But I got use for you. You are actually writing a story of your life. He's like, Pastor Gary, what are you talking about? Well, how are you doing that? Well, you're doing that one decision at a time. With every, I want you to imagine for a second that every decision you make... Every pivotal decision you make, you're starting a new paragraph in the story of your life. And the problem is that, that most of us don't realize, we don't realize that we're doing that. We don't realize the implications of that decision, of those decisions that we make. After all, when we make a decision, we're thinking we're living in the present. It's like, it's only one time, right? I'll just do this. Imagine you're at home, a girl calls you up at midnight, and she says, hey, come on over. No one is home. 
I got the OC. Uh, for, for people who are older, you, you know what OC stands for, open crib. Parents, I'm telling you this, if your kids say they got the OC, stay home. I'm giving you a little hint there. It means nobody's home. You get a call from a girl or from a guy and they say, hey, nobody's home, come on over. What do you do? Kind of like right at that decision point. You're up late studying for a test with a friend. You're tired and your friend offers you a little substance, a little pill to keep you alert. What do you do? It's a decision point. You know that guy at work who's so nice, who's so handsome, so smart, who's so accomplished, funny. He's such a gentleman. And he's married. And he invites you to lunch alone. What do you do? After all, it's only lunch, right? It's only lunch, right? You know that extra stimulus money that you can get if you just bend the truth a little bit? Just a little. What do you do? God knows you could use the money, right? You see, on the other side of those decisions, of that decision, is another paragraph. You, you, you are writing in the story of your life. You see, you know that midnight invitation that you got? Well, you took it. You took that midnight invitation and one thing led to another and now she's pregnant. That one decision. You know that little stimulant you took to make you study? Well, now you took it a couple more times and now you need it. You know that lunch invitation? Well, now... That man's family is broken up. And so is yours, by the way. And now you have kids shuffling from home to home every weekend, and you're broke. Because everything is liquidated in financial ruin, and it's all split up. That one decision, that one decision has now become part of the story of your life. And now your life is filled with stress. There sure ain't no abundant living going on. And instead of living out your purpose, you're scratching and scrounging to barely survive. And that's why whenever you're making a decision, you got to pause and, and you got to think, what story do I want to tell? Recently, I heard a, pa a sermon from one of my favorite pastors. Um, I listened to maybe five or six. I tried to listen to five or six um, different teachers, you know. Anyway, Andy Stanley, he was talking about the story of Joseph. And if you don't know the story, it's, it's found in Genesis, the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, chapter 37. It tells the story of this guy named Joseph and how he was his father's favorite and 
Everybody knew it. His brothers knew it. And because his father was so egregious in how he treated Joseph favorably, his brothers grew resentful. And so resentful, in fact, that they started to hate him and they just wanted to just get rid of him. And so they, they thought of this great idea that, hey, let's just capture Joseph and sell him as a slave and we'll pretend like he died or something. And so Joseph was sold as a slave to some slave traders who sold him in Egypt to a high-ranking Egyptian official named Potiphar. And so Joseph was sold as a slave in his house, and Joseph gets to the house as a slave, became from out of royalty, kind of like royalty, and Joseph had a decision to make. Am I going to work like a slave, or am I going to work really hard as if I'm working unto God? Joseph had a decision to make. Does he work hard or does he work the bare minimum? After all, he's just a slave, right? Joseph made the decision and he chose to work hard. And it worked out well. He got promoted to be the head guy over the entire household staff. But Joseph, the story goes on to tell us that Joseph was well built in form and appearance. The translation was, Joseph was fine. The girl's woman was like, ooh, he's so fine. And Mrs. Potiphar noticed what everybody else noticed, that Joseph was fine, and she gave him an indecent proposal. Her words were, hey, Joseph, come sleep with me. Joseph had a decision to make. His decision was, do I sleep with Mrs. Potiphar, or do I not? So after all, it's going to be just one time, and who's going to find out? Joseph chose not to. And she got mad and falsely accused him of rape and trying to rape her. He chose right, but it didn't work out so well. He got thrown in prison. He was in prison for almost 11 years. <laughs> I mean, you know that sometimes when you do the right thing, it doesn't really seem to turn out so well. And Joseph is down huge, and he, had his, and he now had a decision to make in prison. Does he act like a prisoner with a bad attitude? Or, he does, or does he become a good prisoner with a good attitude? Joseph chose right. He chose a good one, and eventually he got recognized by the guards, and he was put in charge of the other prisoners. And time and time again, when Joseph had a decision to make, he, he, he chose right. Every chapter, I'm sorry, every paragraph, Joseph chose right because Joseph was right in a story. And to cut a long story short, eventually he was recognized by the king of Egypt who pardoned him and released him from prison and eventually put him in charge of agriculture in all of Egypt. And not only that, he made him kind of like vice president. And you know, like Joseph, every day, each one of us is faced, with, is faced with something that could be very well be a pivotal decision. You just never know. And the, but the decision that we make either writes a story that is worth telling or writes a story that we hope we never, ever have to tell. Each decision writes a story that, that, that um, we, we are happy with or a story that we are so ashamed of and so filled with regrets that we never dare tell anyone. We even lie about it. 
the story that we're not proud to tell our spouses, our future spouses, our kids, our grandkids. And oftentimes, the right decision seems like this, like chump decision, you know, not Trump, chump, different. To everyone around us, we look like chumps. We look like idiots. We look like pushovers. Sometimes those right decisions, the short-term outcome doesn't seem so good, right? It certainly was that way for Joseph. But think about that for a moment. What would have happened if he had made the decision to be like every other slave? What would have happened if he made a decision to sleep with Mrs. Potiphar? What would have happened if, if he had a bad attitude while he was in prison? Now, the story of his life may, may, he may never even heard of Joseph. He would not even been a footnote in history. But instead, his story is one that resulted in a legacy that we're talking about right now, 5,000 years later. So, what do I really want? I want to make the right decisions that lead to a stress-free, abundant, purpose-filled life, life that leads me to write a better story, a better life story that I'm proud to tell. What do you really want? I believe you want and you value the very same thing. So how do you start? Well, you start with Jesus. You start with Jesus. He is the author. He's the finisher. And he created you. And he created me. He created you. And he wants to fine-tune you. He wants to fine-tune your thinking. He wants to fine-tune your decision-making. He wants to fine-tune your resulted life story into an eternal story that is worth telling. And so right now as I close, I just want to invite you to start with Jesus, the author and finisher. Have you kind of been listening to this and been thinking about the decisions that you're making and the story of your life that you're writing that you're like, man, when you look back at it, it's like, that's a messed up story. Awesome. Crazy messed up stuff. I can't tell anybody that story. Jesus wants you to start writing a better story. If this is you, just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm tired of making a mess of things. Lord, I need you. I'm asking for your spirit to come inside of me and take control of me. Lord, I pray that you'll give me your spirit to make better decisions so I can write a better story. Forgive me my sins. I commit to living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've said that, you have begun a new chapter in your life story. And if you have been made a decision to follow Jesus, all you got to do is make a decision to turn back and start following him again if you've turned away. See you next week as we continue our series on knowing God's will in order to make better decisions. Uh, when I talk next week, I'll be talking about how to know the right decision in every circumstance. God bless you. See you.